should have made another coffee. Hello and welcome back to the Freewheeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey and we are here to talk about the spring classics. We're going to break down our favorite moments from the spring classics, our favorite riders, uh, give some shout outs and a little bit of a preview into the upcoming stage races. We've got a huge amount of stage races coming up, a lot of new races. So we're really going to change gears from the one days to the multi days. But before we dive into all of that, I'm joined by Gracie Alvin. <laughs> oh, who is she going to pick? Hey guys. <laughs> Amy Jones. Hello. And Lauren Rowney. Good morning. And yeah, no, no, um, Tilda today, but she got rave reviews last week. Tilda was great. Everyone's been sleeping on Tilda. I told you. Yeah, she was awesome. She'll definitely be back for everybody who's, who's messaged me and told me that they loved having her, her, uh, her takes on the podcast. She will definitely be back. So she's way more like, what's the word? Here we go. That's a perfect example. She organized everything. <laughs> yeah 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 i think we both messaged each other after well i messaged you and i was like she's coming for my job yeah i was like she can have it hey. i was i was like mildly hungover for my birthday maybe i shouldn't admit that but she was just picking up the slack yeah we're gonna talk about the spring classics today we had a pretty exciting interesting game-changing spring as far as riders to watch the way the races were raced a lot of change happening in women's cycling so we thought we'd kind of talk a lot a little bit about the key takeaways and stuff like that i wrote a piece on cyclingtips.com in case anybody wants to read that this is kind of the idea where the episode is coming from but before we talk about the spring classics we had some incredible news come out last week that we just need to talk about really quickly and that is that amy peters has regained consciousness after over four months in a coma. Everyone will remember she crashed uh, right before Christmas or right before the new year, right before Christmas, Christmas, December, yeah, of 2021. And she was at a track camp in Spain and crashed during during training and um, has been in a coma, but she's regained consciousness. She can communicate non-verbally and she can recognize people. So it's a huge thing. And we're all very, very excited um, about it. Very good news. I think the whole cycling world was pretty happy to read that this week. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I mean, as far as like cycling goes, it doesn't even matter. She's just like been, she's been a great teammate and a great friend to a lot of people in cycling. So there's been a huge movement behind everyone cheering for her and, hoping for this news and hopefully only good news to come. So we'll keep everybody posted as they release stuff, obviously while being respectful of her family and um, herself and yeah, keeping distance, but hoping that we've got more good news to come. Um, All right. Should we talk about the spring? Yeah. Yeah. Where to start? (laughs) where indeed (laughs) i feel like we should start with some of the key takeaways that i wrote about in the article a lot of it had to do with 
teams. So there was like three key takeaways for me this spring that were team related. Um, one of the first of them was that because there's more teams that are able to properly, uh, pay their riders and give the riders act like a good amount of support. It means that the talent is more spread out across the Peloton. It's not just SD works. That's a step above everybody else. There's teams that are catching up, which is really exciting. And I think like the team that kind of made the biggest jump this year is FDJ. Um, and, but I think that that's something that we're going to continue to see is like more teams being able to reach that top tier of, of team because of salary increases and because of just the amount of support that riders are able to get. Yeah, for sure. I think the racing is just so much more dynamic and it's been happening for a little while, but it, it felt like a bigger shift this week, this year with the depth so spread out. Um, you know, there's still some dominating teams like SD Works and Trek, but, you know, the the end, <laughs> the finish bunches are big and they've got some really interesting names in there and teams and um I'm sure Amy's going to talk about this later, but you know, you know, riders from La Colwahu <laughs> in the finals, <laughs> and you know, it's just really good to see the development teams. Also, that they still don't have very big budgets, but they're getting bigger and having those minimum salaries and minimum, you know, things in the contract is really forcing teams to step up to the plate and I think the riders are the the biggest benefactors of that and we're benefiting from that because the racing is so good yeah I think there's there's a few teams that have definitely stepped up to that level of we're using like I guess Lakola who's this benchmark of um a non-world tour team that is doing great things but we we go on a, a lot about Valcar but they they've sort of in my eyes, since we really took notice of them a few years ago when they won, was it Madrid? The the final stage of Madrid with Balsamo, was it, Abby? Mm-hmm. And that was like really, yeah. whoa, their lead out there was just incredible. I still remember my partner going, who is the pink team? Um, <laughs> and we're seeing a lot more of that from them. And, you know, we'll get into riders from Valka like Persico, one of uh, Amy's favourites, rightly so. <laughs> Um, and talent spotting over here. Yeah, but and also another point from Abby, the Italians. But for me, Planta Pura is it Pura Planta? Planta, Planta Pura. Pura. That's another team um, for me that has really stepped up, and with Yara Castellan and a few others that are there in the pointy end, um, it's really cool to see. Yeah, I think it's part of what we've been calling, or what I was going to say. I think it's great that this is happening in the first year that we've got the Tour de France firm as well, because it means that that race is going to be really exciting and it isn't going to be just like Annemiek walks away with the GC. Well, we hope anyway. Um, So did that sound bad? Like, no, I mean, it's just, yeah. Sorry, me getting BBC balance now after the conversation. No, that last stage has her name written all over it. Yeah. Like if she, she is going to walk away with it, but it'll at least be the last stage. Right. Like they're going to give her a run for her money, which is what we want to see. But yeah, yeah, I think it's part of what we've been calling like the Tour de France firm effect because everyone's felt the need to kind of step things up in a year that's like so big for women's cycling. I don't know, maybe that is part of it or if it's just like this kind of knock on of 
the first few years of having like stable like stability basically for riders like they get taken home livable wages and can focus full-time on being cyclists which yeah there's certainly some negatives there's some teams that shouldn't be in world tour that we've discussed but i think the net effect has been positive and that's amy definitely due to the tour de france pharma effect i reckon yeah yeah i think it's a combination of of the years that we've had leading up to this point the salary increases over time and the um the live coverage situation but i think it's i think it has jumped multiple levels this year because of the tour de france femme i think we would still be at this point in a couple years if we didn't have the tour de france femme but it's like accelerated what we're seeing at the moment and i think like as far as a lot of the world tour teams that kind of underperformed this spring there are teams that are newer that are kind of finding their feet and I think will be successful in the latter races coming up like EF for example the Veronica Ewers the um relatively new American on EF education first she's she won the last stage of Elsa Jacobs and it was just an incredible attack but it was also that team is kind of finally coming together as a as a team and they were really successful at the tour of the Gila in the US which is used to be a pretty big race over there but I think this year suffered a little bit from the two years off of racing in the US and also just that cycling is dying over there but like that team I have like really high hopes for them in the coming races and like Yumbo Visma hopefully they have you know Rihanna Marcus and Voss back because they really the reason that their spring didn't work out was really because they were missing two key riders and I think they would have been up there in a lot more races had they had their A team basically so there's definitely some teams that underperformed but I have I have hopes for them in the future and then there's other teams that are like okay What are you, you doing? Need to work something out. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing here? A, a, fit, a team for me that's been quiet is, I'm going to say the name wrong, I bet. Sarah Tids, W-N-T. Yeah, ter- Sarah Tids. For yeah. them, they have, I guess, given their yeah. ability, maybe not so much, because, I mean, they did have um, Maria Giulia Confalonieri was third in Flanders, was she? I think it was mm. third. Yeah. That's probably their best result of the spring, though. They, they, yeah, they really, but they're also like, I feel like they're going through a transition year where they, they lost a lot of their key riders and Lisa Brenauer was not around this mm-hmm. spring. So I feel like for them, they, they're in a bit of a weird spot, but they're also this team for me that they leave kind of a, a sour taste in my mouth because they should have a huge amount of funding based on who their sponsors are and how long they've been around. That could be one of the best teams, but I think that the reason that they aren't is a is because they're undersupported. The riders mm. they they were kind of like we would have mentioned them in the same breath as like Nicole Wahoo before now. They were sort of one of these other teams that were on this sort of level where if there was a pro conti at a tier, they would have been in it. But yeah, maybe from this spring, like looks like they're going backwards slightly 
I mean, last year they would have they I would have thought that they would have been world tour with the riders that they had. Kirsten wheeled for one, but they had other and Lisa Brenauer, but they had other they walked away from the Tokyo Olympics with like five medals in the, on the track. Oh yeah, track riders, yeah, yeah. And all of their track riders cross over and are like quite good on the road as well. The another interesting team when Changing the subject. Another interesting team for me is Canyon because I feel like they, we talked about them recently, but I feel like it's worth bringing up again because Paulina Royarkis and um, Soraya Paladin have just been so consistent this spring and like consistently building into really good form. And they rode really well at uh, Elsa Jacobs. And that team is so interesting because they always focus so much on Kasha. And now they've got like, so many cards to play when it comes to the the stage races coming up when you also include Elise Shabby. So I'm super curious to see how they take on the the races coming up. Yeah, and they've got yeah, Tiff sure. as well, who's been Did she get like she's no, we in don't America talk about right now. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> she got third at the Belgian Marvel <laughs> round. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know she got out third. I just knew she was like doing it. I don't know. I just I know because of Instagram. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what you mean you didn't watch the whole thing from start to finish? I did not. Could you even? I don't know. <laughs> no, but I did. I watched the tracker kind of. I tracked people at the tracker in Girona yesterday. Did you? Yeah, you could. They it was super cool. They have like the whole course on the website, and you can like pick your favorites. And then you can track them the whole time. <laughs> that's better than the actual UCI race that Sam did that I couldn't follow apart from Instagram. So that's good, eh? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the other the other teamwork um, or the other team-related takeaway that I had from the spring was that just teamwork is more important. I feel like in in the past, you could win a race based on strength alone, which is how Van Vluten has won a lot of her races. Not that... She hasn't had teamwork behind her, Gracie. I good know. save, good save. <laughs> um, but I think I, <laughs> I think this year, because teamwork is so much more important to the win, and there's more riders across teams that can kind of put in big efforts, it means that more riders are there in the end, and there's more more potential scenarios for the win than just having the strongest legs. Mm. Definitely. I completely agree. And I feel like that's where SD Works now is coming a little bit undone um, because they've had that strength in Anna van der Breggen to match the Anamique strength. And, you know, they've got a ton of talent still, but I don't feel like they're getting the teamwork quite right and other teams are and, you know, that they just can't, they can't do that anymore because I completely agree with you, Abby. I think teamwork has been super a big takeaway from this spring to see some teams just gel really well, nail the tactics, have one plan, stick to it, and I think that's really the way forward. Now you can't have multiple leaders in teams. I just don't think that it's going to be that successful anymore to play the, the game like that. It's interesting. Do you think we're seeing kind of, because obviously, you know, SD works with, been around for so long and like the the way that women's races are raced is changing and it's almost like the ds's are grappling with that too like mm. yeah. it's the tactics are 
in this flux state and no one really knows what to do with it or some people don't know what to do with it. Yeah, that's a valid yeah. point because gone yeah. are the days of five SD works and then one rider from each other team, not every team, but for the last, you know, important part of the race. So now you're having, we, we discussed this before, but a bunch of anywhere between 20 and 30 with multiple riders from different teams. Um, it's a completely different dynamic to everyone trying to sort of race against a team that has four or five riders in the finale. And SD Works have been doing that since 2015, 16. They always had the numbers at the end. And like, yeah. I just remember from, from our team just trying to make sure that yeah, one or two of our top riders were up there. And if we had two, that was sort of a big bonus. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, Amy. Like it's something that you just don't see it as much because it's not on camera like we can see the riders in a race now <laughs> that there's broadcast, but you don't see, you know, what the directors are doing. You don't see into those team meetings. And I think we're seeing a new generation of directors coming through now because they're also getting paid well. That's that's another big shift. It's not just the riders. Like the whole team environments are much better. Like there's, it's real jobs to be a director, a mechanic, a soigneur, um, and the old generation of, you know, directors that are a bit dodgy, probably couldn't get a job anywhere else. Uh, I think that's slowly going, which is awesome. And more female directors coming out from being racers themselves um, and, and some good male racers as well that are coming across to cut their teeth, probably because they want to go back into men's cycling, but uh, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point too. The leadership is a big thing. I was going to say, I can't forget that one of those is Anna van der Breggen mm-hmm. now. Mm. And actually maybe not to like throw her under the bus, but like part of it might be that like when she was racing, she could literally just like clobber everyone with her strength and just win. Whereas as a director, maybe she's kind of struggling to formulate those tactics that don't favour riders that can do what she could do, which is basically no one. She is, to be fair, though, like it's not just her. She's still working with Danny from what I can gather. Mm. And I'm guessing he's mentoring her through the year. And it's a huge transition just because you're the best bike rider in the world, then sitting behind the the wheel of the car is something completely different. Um, And on that note, um, the fact that actually the DSs today can sit there with their iPad and watch the race, because now we have two DSs in the car. Um, So you've got one in the the passenger's seat, basically watching the race and supporting and communicating information to the driver. Let's pretend that the drivers don't also watch. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying exactly. Safety, Um, guys. That's awesome. They're actually <laughs> watching the race unfold. And then it, it, that, that's also something different because previously it was, <coughs> is the race plan, going to the race, execute it the best you can. And, you know, basically on the road, you have to figure a lot of stuff out by yourself. Um, now the communication is better. The race radios are much better. All these little things, I'm guessing, are changing what we're seeing as spectators viewing. Yeah, definitely. I think so. And I wonder if, um, I wonder what the dynamics are at SC Works with the direct, with, with the directors, because 
Danny's been around for like quite a long time at this point. And so I wonder if he's the one who's struggling to adapt to the new Mm. way of racing and how that kind of factors into him and Anna's relationship as directors with each other. Yeah. I can't speak for Danny, but I know a few people in my experience that definitely get stuck in their ways and they haven't evolved with the sport. So wouldn't be surprised if that was happening. (laughs) (laughs) Like Gracie said, when I say that, like the teamwork is so much more important, I feel like factoring in Swannies and mechanics and directors kind of goes hand in hand with that because teams have now full time staff versus having staff that kind of come in for one race and are paid by the day. They have staff that are around for the entire year who get to know the riders, which kind of has this effect on the team where riders feel way more comfortable when they're at races and stuff like that. So it's like this whole, it kind of all ties in together and all comes back to kind of the more professional the team is, the better that they're perform, the the better they're able to perform, which I think is something we're seeing. And I think the, the fact that teamwork is more important these days i wonder like for a team like yumbo visma for example where they have basically one clear leader that when voss is back and on top form like how much of an effect that has on the team and it's kind of it's so interesting because you want to like you want a team to have multiple leaders just in case one of them gets COVID and is out for a bunch of the key races. But at the same time, it's you have to walk this fine line of having multiple leaders that are able to sacrifice, which is not something that everyone can do. So it's just so... It's hard to get it right. And some teams really got it right this year, and some teams didn't. <laughs> what is that face for? <laughs> hey, I'll just call faces. Yeah, if only people could see Amy's facial expressions when we were. I'm told I get in trouble because, like, I don't even notice that I'm like that. My face is giving away exactly how I feel, <laughs> and like, I think I've like made myself look neutral, or like, if I don't like someone or what's been said, and then it turns out I was given disgruntled the whole time but anyway you're really you're i like playing poker with you would be super fun (laughs) i would be shocking at it like no yeah uh hand in hand with the voss conversation just because like without her yumbo really had not a great spring um is the the fact that they're the women's teams have the same number of riders or maybe like one or two more that they've always had, but the calendar is so much more packed these days. And the spring was this interesting situation where, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I'm assuming because we've all been wearing masks for two years, um, nobody was really getting sick. And then this spring we had a ton of illness run through the Peloton. Like there were stomach infections that took out entire teams and the flu and multiple COVID cases that took out key riders for key races. And for like the whole spring, like Cecily Utrip Ludwig didn't really race after I think Binda maybe was her last race. So we've had, we've had that kind of illness situation and that's even before 
the summer starts where we've got all of these stage races like back to back to back to back and teams still have only 13 14 some of them have 11 riders on the roster so that's another thing going forward where i think looking at the way that the spring went and how you know yumbo visma only started three riders at flesh like they started four riders at liege bass on liege and there wasn't a single race all season where every world tour team had a full roster so in the future teams are going to have to hire more riders agreed which means more budget yeah but yeah Yeah. it's necessary Uh, that calendar is huge now and uh, or they should just not have them all world tour races (laughs) yeah yeah or that we've talked about that lots of times (laughs) Or just like cut back on the number of world tour teams because then yeah. like then there's more riders it, it's to go no big, both. Yeah. And it's no big deal if a if just a UCI continental team starts only four riders. But when world tour teams can't start a full roster, it looks really bad. Mm. That was the thing with the spring with with like Yombo Visma, sorry to go back to that. But like they they did suffer without Voss, but it wasn't just Voss, like they had so many out that, yeah, they were fielding four riders in the last few races, which, you know, even if like Anna Henderson or somebody could have like picked up some of the slack, there's still no team to back them up. So it's not, I think they do heavily rely on Voss, but there was also other things going on with that. Just with the sheer depth, you need to field a full team. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's the problem is um, we saw over the weekend Anna Henderson, she she had a good weekend. She started off really good. And um, just in general with all those races, if you don't have the full support, how are riders like her and Corinne Lebecki meant to get all the way to the finish with the best possible legs possible um, if the worker type riders aren't there to support? And we're speaking about how there are more numbers in the finale well if you're lining up with only four teammates over i don't know 150 kilometers it it can get hard um yeah yeah because that's what's kind of missing actually more so than like every team being stacked with potential winners yeah is people who are just paid to be domestiques because that's what the men's side has got heaps of is just guys who go to races to Work yeah, and for we're their seeing that a bit more now, and there are riders who are comfortable in that role and um, will have a full long career of ten plus years as a domestique because there is a place in women's cycling for that role. Six years ago, you still had to get some sort of result or just have a very good relationship within the team to keep getting hired in that role, but you could never then ask for more money either. So you're sort of stuck in this awkward position where you want to be a pro bike rider and you love your role as a domestique, um, but you're just not progressing in that respect. So I think that's what Trek's done quite well with a few of their riders. I mean, Loretta Hansen is one of the standouts. Um, She's just a brilliant asset to that team and they see that. And, you know, she's got a contract again to the end of next year. 
And because we're getting longer and longer live coverage for all the races, we're able to actually see the domestiques working. And like Amy said, the directors in the car are watching the races. Mm -hmm. So they actually see who's working from other teams. Like they, they can tell who the strong domestiques are. So, cause like you work the, for the first 80 K and then the race, the live coverage starts and you're already out of the race, but no one actually gets to see that. And so the, it kind of goes hand in hand with one of my other key takeaways, which was that we just need to see more of the racing. Like the 45 minutes of mandated UCI coverage for world tour races is simply not enough anymore. And we need to see like (laughs) at least the last 60 K of races. We need to see an hour and a half at the bare minimum because what that's doing is making more riders significant and, and more teams are being recognized. Like Lacole Wahoo had some really great performances in the latter parts of races, but there were teams that like Lacole Wahoo who were super active in the beginning of races that we didn't get to see at all. And that being able to see everything that's happening in the race is going to push the sport forward even more. And help these domestique riders like be actually valued because you you can't win races without them, and yet they're when they don't get results, directors are like, yeah, but you don't have any results. But I work really hard for my team. But we need results to be able to sign you. But I can't get results because I'm mm. doing my job. <laughs> it's like yeah. really infuriating back and forth. And it also opens the the door to early breakaways being controlled a bit and and let go because that's also a great thing that you get to see on the coverage now is that domestic role whether you're working or you're in that early breakaway like Paris-Roubaix was a perfect example so I've seen it lots of times now and it's it's certainly more of a, a male racing tactic but I think it's not a bad thing to have that kind of play out in women's cycling as well just purely from a sponsor point of view and a a job point of view for riders yeah I think that kind of argument about you know the tactics are different the racing is different is like it's the same sport still like so if someone's watching men's and then they tune into the women's and they're like I don't get this this is what is happening it makes it harder for someone to kind of like jump across from one to the other maybe so like if you're watching if you're used to watching men's and you watch women's and you're like oh yeah I do know what's going on here tactically or like what's going to happen next maybe or like I don't know there is an argument to be made for the fact that it's not necessarily so bad if women's cycling starts to move towards the way that men's cycling is is raced rather than there's other elements that aren't quite so kind Mm. of desirable but I'd say that's one of them even if it did kind of shift to the way that the early race, like the early stages of a race is race like the men, it, I don't think it would impact the way that women's racing is raced in the final 50K anyway, because the women just simply simply function differently. So I don't think that that's like in danger of being lost as women's racing kind of has this shift. I've been said that early breakaways and yeah yeah but we have seen some slightly frustrating tactics now this spring we definitely saw some weird tactics this spring yeah there were some (laughs) did you like my segue yeah yeah Yeah. it's a great segue (laughs) 
And go. Uh, hey. Yeah, Amy. Amy, what were some of the weird? No, I was we leading saw? someone else into that. That wasn't meant to be. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say Bindo is a standout race for that. Yeah. We've talked about it. Bindo. Bindo was weird. It was weird. It was, but but then in hindsight, it made sense because in hindsight, you were like, oh. Trek had the strongest roster on the start line and they kept it together for a sprint for Balsamo. But definitely while we were watching it, it was very confusing to understand what was going on. Yeah. Maybe we're like those directors. We're like those directors who are stuck in our ways. <laughs> I think, yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty clear. Um, they were going for Balsamo. It you know, and I guess for the other teams, well, when that becomes evident, you have to do everything possible to try and, yeah, I mean, in the sprint finish, who was going to, yeah, up. who was going to contest against her. Um, it, so that's where they messed up was just, there wasn't enough, SD Works wasn't aggressive enough. Yeah, I was going to say Trek's tactics made sense. It was everybody mm-hmm. else's tactics that it was like, what are you doing? Maybe everyone underestimated Bosmo to their detriment because that was, yeah, the first of her hat trick victory. And I can also segue into one of my other key takeaways from the spring, which was that the Italians are so good right now. (laughs) We've always, the Dutch have always been the standout nation in women's cycling. And this spring... Technically, they're still ranked number one. But this spring, the Italians really put on a show between Balsamo winning three races back to back to back to back with Trofeo Alfredo Binda, Bruges de Pana, and then Ghent Webelgem, with Cavalli winning Amstel Gold and Flesh Wallone, with Elise Longaborghini winning Perry Roubaix. But then you also had a bunch of young Italian riders who were coming up, like Silvia Persico, Chiara Consoni, who are just. Yeah, the future of Italian <laughs> Italian racing is just like so impressive at the moment, and and they really had an incredible spring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, the way they raced the worlds last year, right? Um, I mean, they always bring yeah. a fantastic team to the world championships, but yeah, they've had a fantastic start to the season, and we're not even into the stage racing yes yet. Um, they have some really fast sprinters. Um, coming out and I guess they always do Italy Um, but I was really I don't know if we're talking about the race over the weekend but it was good to see Silvia Persico up there Um, she's been consistent I think she's run top tens in most of the big races this year which could lead into consistent riders for the spring I was super impressed with Persico in stage two of Elsa Jacobs this weekend because there was one it was her and Demi Vollering were tied on time for the general classification going into the final stage. And there was one moment where Vollering attacked and Persico was like, she was on her, just immediately on her. And it was really impressive from such a young rider who's on a smaller team to be exactly where she needed to be, exactly when she needed to be there. And she didn't in the end win the overall but an Italian still won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, yeah, Marta Bastianelli also had an incredible spring. Mm-hmm. I mean, she didn't win that many World Tour races, but she did. She has had multiple wins, and she's been super active in a lot of the races. So I think she's 
she also falls into the she's yes on less on the young part but like still very much in the races and italian back to persico briefly i want to know where my girl's taking a break because she's been racing cross since october as well oh wow and she, now, she came third at well she needs a rest but yeah you would assume now is the time after hopefully this weekend. I interviewed um, Yara Castellone as well, and she said she's taking like a three-week break now to come okay. back and then talk. She was her. on my list of consistent riders as well, if you have a look. Um, and also, I, yeah, yeah. I reckon, yeah, standouts from, from the cross, uh, what's the word? Crossover. Cohort. Crossover, yeah. <laughs> the cross covert, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had her I actually wrote a list Abby of writers very proud (laughs) all right swap (laughs) okay my consistent writers um just a few I thought Flotcha Mackay from um DSM was always in the mix super aggressive um always up there probably didn't get the result she wanted but was around about the mark um then, of course, Lotta Kapeki has been very consistent as well, with, and she also goes into my favourite moments, but we'll get into that later. Mulman was a standout for me. I thought she was very consistent this um, spring and uh, was a really an asset, in my opinion, to SD Works. Okay, sometimes there was a bit of confusion with tactics um, that you mentioned in your article, Abby, but... Um, yeah, I thought she was really consistent. Amanda Spratt, she ties into favorite moments and consistent riders. She was, we all know that she's just come back from surgery on her iliac arteries. And it was just so nice to see her just having a crack and always up there and just, you know, normally Spratty is, is the protected rider for the end, but she knew exactly where she was and was using these opportunities in, in these races just to test herself and contribute to, to the team. Um, and then, of course, running that top 10 in Liège, Baston Liège, I think she, she must be pretty proud of herself. Um, Annemiek van Vluten was good when she needed to be good. Um, Lippart, I thought, was also good. Um, and I've probably missed a bunch. Those are my consistent riders. And Balsamo. For me, I feel like the two most consistent riders of the spring were Anamik Van Vluten and Marlon Rusa. Because oh, yeah. Anamik, the races that she did, she, like, yeah, her she only won Liege Bass on Liege, which for Anamik is potentially not. If you look at her list of results, it's like she's only got one victory. Oh, she's having a bad spring. But then when you actually dive into the rest of her results, she got second at three other World Tour races, I believe. Strada, Flanders, and Flesh Wallone. Yep. And she was fourth in a couple races, too. So actually, if you look at her spring as a whole, she had probably the most consistent spring she's ever had, but just only won one race which then speaks to the depth of the peloton let's not forget she won more, Het more than her <laughs> in that yeah. crazy sprint sprint yeah sprint. yeah it's a so bit of a technicality like... that she only had one world to win because it's kind of because we basically count on loop as a yeah. world to a yeah. race even though it's not yeah but i think like as far as like top 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 
consistent rider. Van Vluten was definitely one of them. And mm-hmm. and Marlon Russo, even though she didn't win any races, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. she was up there in like every single race she did. She was in the early breakaways. She was in the late race breakaways. She was doing so much work for SD Works. I mean, she, for me, is probably the top signing of the year at this point. Like Lotta Kopecky is, was a great move for SD Works. But in terms of a very, very useful rider going into the rest of the season and someone who was invaluable for the spring. Invaluable? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pregnancy brain. No, that's just a- normal Abby brain. Marlon Russo was super impressive. I had her see also, <laughs> See also Brody Chapman. Yeah. Yeah. I think Brody really built into it. And, and for me, she was a standout rider. I wouldn't put her in consistent mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i had her in but she was, in the same way that russo was yeah. you know like always up there to help the team yeah kind of the same sort of role i guess and i actually got a little bit of inside information from brody about about this year i don't know if i'm allowed to say it she has a little bit of a different role in the team this year like in past years she would be doing a lot of early work but now she's able to kind of sit in and rest for the first half of the race and then do work later in the race. And that's why she was, she was up there in Flanders. That's why she was such a key rider when it came to flesh. And so they've kind of, they've swapped her role around. And that's what you would call a promotion. (laughs) She got a promotion. Congrats, Brody. I love that. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think like she's been, she has been one of the reasons that the team has succeeded so much in the past like four or five races. And it's crazy that like one rider can make such a big difference when we just talked about how important teamwork is. But I mean, she, she is a team player and that is what she's good at. And by putting her in the right spot in the right part of the race to do her job, she's completely changed as a rider or just been able to use her talents more efficiently mm-hmm. i would say shirin van roy is that right van roy. yeah yep. yeah big standout for me that one yeah and five for georgie so yes. i completely yeah. as well. yeah. out names now but yeah had her on my list and like i do rag on sd works a lot because i care about tactics <laughs> but you know, like all of their riders are so sharp. Like it looks like they're all in career best form. And the one rider that we've talked about lots but still feels like it's overlooked is Chantal Vanderbrook Black. Like to me that she looks like she is the strongest and fittest I've ever seen her. And she's been a great performer for many years. And I was almost a bit disappointed for her that she didn't get a a good top result this season because she was so close, but, you know, she was really doing a pretty good team role for Kopecky most of the time. Yeah, I think her, like, she could have won Flanders. And I think that, like, she would, to me, it looked like she was almost in the number one seat for Roubaix for that team, mm -hmm. probably split between her and Kopecky, but I think they just messed it up a little bit and, you know, there's a lot of other factors there. But, yeah, it it looked like she could have won Roubaix as well but just didn't quite nail it as a team or as individuals. I think one more rider to mention 
um, when you look outside of just the world tour is also Lorena Weavis because she's already won four races mm-hmm. this year. Um, one of them being a world tour race and then three others. And so like going into the, the races to come, she'll have more opportunities. And I mean, she's because she doesn't win that many world tour races. I think she's a little overlooked, but holy crap. She's so good mm-hmm. at sprinting. She's the fastest. <laughs> yeah. She, she's the standout sprinter of the peloton, I think. In this but moment. also one of the points I wanted to kind of highlight is that there's a lot of sprinters coming through. I know we talked about this mm-hmm. with the Italians, but this level of sprinting in the women's peloton nowadays is, well, before it was just like one or two people who were fast enough mm-hmm. and you never really saw lead outs either. Mm-hmm. And like, that's an element of women's racing that we're seeing really like come along in the last few years. So yeah. that's good. Maybe this is what we'll see in the stage races as well. When you have multiple days and, set sprint days where then teams can actually dedicate their whole team to the sprinter. Um, that's going to be very exciting to watch actually, like seeing full lead out trains and then seeing who, who actually has the best lead out train. I mean, Valcar has for years had pretty impressive lead out training um, considering that, you know, they're not world tour, but they're very, very organized. A few sprinters that I am looking forward to seeing develop more in and it's an Aussie shout out, um, is the Ruby Roseman Gannon from Bike Exchange and also Georgia Baker from Bike Exchange. They're very fast. Um, Ruby's very green, so she's just finding her legs in the peloton and she she did a great job, in my opinion, this spring to get through all those races and I, I'm sure she would have learnt heaps. Georgia has a little bit more experience, but in general, like a lot of those races, she was also doing for the first time and I think that she could definitely challenge uh, Lorena Weebs. So I think she's going to be super fast, but Ruby's also quite fast. And then third on that list from the same team is in my opinion, the most underrated rider of the spring is uh, Alex Manley. She performed really well. She's, you know, she's still, still under the radar, but she was 12th at Amstel. She was up there in other big races. She can climb. So she's coming from the track. She's pretty quick too, but she is getting through these hilly days, which is super impressive. So I'm really proud for her because she had a great spring but excited to see what she can do in the future so those three Aussies in the in the same team I think they can do a great lead out too and that's something that that team has missed for a long time um long I won't go into it because it's a bit of a pain point for me but like I think that they've got potential for a great lead out squad there too yeah and I think going into the stage races it's riders like Alexandra Manley, who we will be looking to get results finally, because the stage races, obviously, they're multiple days back to back. So it's more opportunities for riders to kind of try different things. And so there's a lot of riders who were hovering around like the 7th to 20th ish at all the spring one days that going into the the stage races now will have a really good shot at some stage wins or some kind of result before we talk about the stage races though we should go over some key moments our favorite moments from the spring amy you can go first Mm, i'm torn between 
Did you do that because you thought I was not concentrating? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, both of, yeah, I don't know, Kopecky winning Strada Bianchi just because it kicks off, it set the, the tone for the rest of the spring and it was kind of a surprise. Um, it was just such a good way to start the World Tour season. But also I'm biased and the fact that I want to say Roubaix because I was there and it was amazing. So that's my... Um, Hannes wants to throw his hat in the ring order, you say. His favourite <laughs> was Kopecky winning Strata as well. <laughs> Great minds think alike. I feel like it was my favourite too. I mean, for for the same reason that Amy just said, but also just because... Tom's offering his two cents. Like- Come on then. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, Tom's. What was what was your favorite moment from the spring? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was just such an incredible performance, and I think that whole race, it was like, okay, when's Anamik gonna ride away? And then it was like, okay, Anamik's gonna win, and it wasn't just Kopecky flipping the race on its head to take that victory. It was the entire buildup to that point where we had like a huge group going into the base of the climb and we had attacks from Grace Brown and, or a lead out from Grace Brown and attacks from Elise Shabby and so much going on. Like it key moment. Yes. Was Kopecky winning, but the buildup to that moment was what made it. So what, what fueled it being like, so incredible. So I feel like that man Strata maybe was my favorite race of the spring. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would say it's my number two. I love that moment, especially that final corner where they both nearly went into the barriers. That was mm-hmm. so exciting. But number one for me was the last 20K of the Tour of Flanders. Seeing Brody mm. perform like she did, it made it super exciting from a fan point of view to see what the race was doing behind it all coming back together and then Kopecky following Anamik up the Paderberg and then that final sprint that was like it still gives me goosebumps and also like the podium, like watching Lotta Kopecky get that huge round of applause as the Belgian national champion on the podium, like I thought that was really cool. That was my favourite moment too. And I guess I can claim that I'm somewhat Belgian now. So I'm going to take that yeah. one. <laughs> you, have just... a Bel- you have a Belgian child. Yes. So. yes. But he really is, he, he's around him more than in a brain, I will just say. I want to know <laughs> what accent he's going to have when he starts talking. I'm fascinated by this. I'm guessing he's going to. I think he'll have like an Aussie accent. No, he'll have a Belgian accent, I guess. But when he speaks English, maybe with an Australian tone. I don't know. He'll be Belgian, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree. The last, the last like 20-ish K of Flanders was just incredible. I mean, the entire, the entire build up to Chantel's lead out was basically just like, so such good bike racing i feel like for me another really great build-up slash moment was cavalli's attack at amsel gold because just no one saw it coming i mean except for me <laughs> I knew i've known for years but no like no one do you want a no cut of his salary that. or <laughs> no one saw that coming and she was in a group with such elite riders at that point and still relatively unknown like yes she's had great rides up to that moment 
but nothing like that attack would suggest. And I mean, that victory for me was maybe my number two favorite moment of the year because I'm biased and I just really like Cavalli, but also because it was, it was like the coming onto the scene of a new rider who I think is going to be a huge factor in the stage races coming up and for years at this point to come. Mm-hmm. It's just always good when someone different wins, right? Like- yeah. And just speaking about Cavalli, we already spoke about it, but I just, when she was going up the Moor de Huy, you could just see she was so composed and I was just like waiting for, for the attack that for me it was just super impressive. Um, she looked beautiful and just knew exactly what she needed to do and when to go. And to beat Anamik up there was was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, so many good moments. And even the the moment where Elisa Longaborghini attacked in Roubaix, like that was that was a great moment too, because it was literally minutes or not even after they'd gotten the news that Balsamo had been disqualified. So I think Trek were on the back foot in that race all the way up to that moment almost because they've had they had bad luck. They lost Chloe Hosking mm. in that spectacular crash. But I hung out with her the other day. She's all good, everyone. She's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, but they they had other bad luck. They Ellen was yo-yoing back and forward um, and then to have uh, Balsamo disqualified and then uh, Longaborghini just took that moment and it was perfect and she put SD works on the back foot then. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I had that as, as a really cool moment too. I was super stoked for her. I think we all were for Elisa after her yes. spring, like no big result. Um, and, you know, with being ill and all that stuff to come back and finish off with a Paris-Roubaix win was really special. Mm-hmm. I think we can transition into talking a little bit about the stage races, um, which the biggest news this week leading into the stage races, thinking about the stage races, was that Annemiek van Vluten broke her wrist riding mountain bikes with Iris Slappendel. She was home for a couple weeks after the spring and was looking forward to having kind of a little bit of time off before she builds into what is going to be a completely insane summer of stage racing. But yeah, she broke her wrist. So she's out of the two Spanish races coming up at Zulia and uh, Vuelta Burgos, which for Movistar is, I think, a huge Mm. blow because Spanish team... Spanish races, they've obviously signed one of the biggest names in women's cycling and and now they don't they don't have her for these races and she's kind of like a guaranteed result mm-hmm. when it comes to races where there's very long uphill sections and and now they're gonna man that team really has to rethink how they're gonna tackle these races, which is gonna be super interesting from our perspective of watching them um, and opens up the races very nicely for SD works who, uh, yes, they had a rough spring tactically, but I think going into the stage races coming up, watching how they raced at Elza Jacobs, they didn't win um, or get any results really, or any notable results, but they did have, Anna Shackley and Neve Fisher Black, who were riding incredibly well. And those Ding. two going, 
drink. Those two going into this <laughs> stage racing season are going to be so valuable. So I, I'm super curious how, how Movistar is going to race, how Trek is going to race, because they're also kind of like, uh, who are they going to ride for? I'm not really sure. And how, um, how SC, like who SC works is going to race for. Cause Volering was riding well, but she's still not the Volering who we saw last year. And I think actually my favorite team for, for a win at these races is Canyon Stram. I'm going to back FDJ. I mean, if we or FDJ. think about their, their horsepower now for, for these races, um, if we will be coming back, Cecilia. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, if they if they race as a team, I mean, they're pretty hard to look past with their their just their strength. These these should be the races that they're actually really performing well in. Also, going back to Movistar, if they take Olena Sierra, mm. watch out for her because, well, now she can be the leader. Didn't wait. I'm gonna have to like fact check myself here, but I'm pretty sure she won one of the one days in Spain last year. She did. Yeah, she did. Burgos has some really hard stages from memory and then it had that really hard mountaintop finish, correct? Yes. The final day was the mountaintop where we only saw four kilometers yeah. of the race. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Arlena Sierra won one of the one days leading up to, was it leading up to Burgos mm. maybe? Yeah. Um, one of the like Amakamine the Navarra the second Navarra classic yeah yeah because she was in a three-person break with Van Vluten and Ruth Winder Mm. yeah good memory Mm -hmm. god are you all right it's every if only I could store uh foreign languages like I can store race facts and Taylor Swift (laughs) there's a stage race every weekend starting from the 13th don't remind me yeah so we've got (laughs) <laughs> yeah amy's like <laughs> she used to have she used to be a freelance writer and she used to not have to do race previews and now she's got my job for the next six weeks <laughs> which includes say goodbye to your weekends so, amy i used to have a lie <laughs> so we've got it zulia from may 13th to the 14th we've got vuelta Burgos from may 19th to the 22nd Ride London, which is no longer a one day. They've added two more days from May 27th to the 29th. And then the women's tour is the first race of June from June 6th to the 11th, which they might have live coverage. It's no. on GCN, but no. there hasn't been an announcement. So if they don't have live coverage, how the hell am I going to even? Oh, it... well. Good luck. <laughs> So we've got like, yeah, tons of, and that's even before, I, I only just looked forward to June because after that we have the Giro, we have Tour de France Femme, we have uh, the Tour of Scandinavia. So there's like a ton more to come, but just in the immediate future, we've got a lot. There's a lot. There's, yeah, it's a lot. So I'm curious what riders are going to take a break now and not race these stage races coming up in anticipation for like the, the two big ones in the summer, which are the Giro and the tour, who's going to not race it, Zulia and Burgos and how that opens up possibilities for other riders, um, for those races. Cause I would imagine after the spring that we had, that a lot of riders are going to skip 
the Spanish races or skip the British races. Someone's got people have got to have a break somewhere in 71 World yeah. Tour race days in such yeah, a Yeah, but teams just like can't afford to let people have breaks because they don't have enough riders. Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to be left? It's like the Hunger Games. <laughs> I know we're gonna we're gonna get to like late we're gonna get to the Madrid challenge and teams are gonna be like we only have four riders left now I'm not gonna be there I'm gonna be having to lie down I mean don't forget like what at the end of June is all the national championships so for the people from the Oceana um that's their ch- chance to go and do like I don't know an altitude camp or or something like that and not race but yeah it's a valid point I think uh, a few of the riders who've had a really full spring might skip the first two and then Burgos is is quite a big one. So, um, yeah, coming in, for, that's what I would do. But um, it will be interesting. And maybe we'll see Rihanna Marcus and Voss back for, for these stage races. Man, fingers crossed. I would assume that they would be back for... Ride London and the women's tour. Mm-hmm. Like, based on how the women's tour has gone in the past, this year the course is way harder than years previously. And I think there's a 180K stage one day. What? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, which on those British, ro- like on the roads in the UK, like n- you couldn't pay me enough to ride 180K <laughs> in a Peloton. But yeah, I think it's going to be a very different race but it's still gonna there will still be stages that suit a rider like boss so for sure if she if we don't see her back by then i'll i'll be shocked mm. but yeah like cecily will be back hopefully for these races or she will be back post covid there's um we there's a bunch well there's a lot of riders that were sick all spring that will hopefully be back for these races and hopefully we see like full teams show up. I'm excited to see how EF does given their success at stage races this weekend. Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot to come. I think we can, we can cut it. We can cut it short. We'll be back on Monday to talk about Itzulia, give like a good Itzulia preview, pick some favorites, talk about what the stages are going to look like. So we'll be back then. Thank you all so much for listening to this podcast. And if you're riding on Zwift, we hope you had a lovely ride today. A lovely long ride. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, little bit longer than usual. But we had a lot to talk about, so. A little harder. You know what you should do is like at the end of the year, take, uh, this would be way too much work, but if you could snippets of our conversations before, but like the appropriate stuff. <laughs> And then do this compilation of um, bloopers. Bloopers.